And we're going to be studying two psalms that deal with the sorrow in life. But the good thing is, when the psalmist gives us a psalm of sorrow, he also develops a strategy within the psalm of how to deal with the crisis. So these are psalms that where David is in anguish. But if we break it apart into its individual pieces, we can learn not only how David dealt with his sorrow, but how we can deal with a crisis. We'll be splitting that out in individual sections, okay? Now, Psalm 4 is a psalm of lament. Now, that's not a word we use very commonly. Lament is a word to describe sorrow. It can express strong emotions, grief. So as we read Psalm 4, I want you not only to feel the emotion that David is having, but I want you to be able to empathize with him. I want you to be able to feel the sorrows he's feeling. Then once you feel that, we'll try and discover what David is sorrowful about. Okay? So as the custom ends Calvary Chapel, why don't we all stand for the reading of God's word? Now, if you can't stand, you're tired, or feel free to remain seated. So this is Psalm 4. And it's a psalm of David, and it says in verse 1, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me, and please hear my prayer. O songs of men, how long will my honor be a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? When he's saying you, he's referring to the men of reproach, not to God. But I know the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of thy countenance upon us, O Lord. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than when their gain and new grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for thou alone, O Lord, dost make me to dwell in safety. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read these psalms, please let our minds be the field that is ripe to receive the seeds of your knowledge and wisdom, and let us understand and be able to use these psalms in our daily life. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, you can go ahead and be seated. Did you feel the sorrow and anguish in him when he was saying that psalm? Now, people who study the psalms, especially the psalms of lament, say there's five different parts to the structure of a psalm. And we'll be going over each one of these parts individually, and then we'll see how it applies to Psalm 4 and then to Psalm 5. There's the invocation, and we'll be talking about these individually, the lament, the sorrowness that comes out, petition, confidence, and eventually they end in praise. So invocation, lament, petition, confidence, and then praise. So let's start with the invocation. An invocation is a form of prayer, but it's not just prayer. It's a prayer in which you invite God into your presence. You want God to be there with you, standing next to you right now. Okay, so did you see that in Psalm 1? Answer me when I call. Right now, I'm talking to you, God. No, don't look away. Look me in the eye. Put down what you're doing. Don't listen to the TV. 
I am talking to you. Put down the book. You have to hear my prayer. Watch me. That's a prayer of invocation. An earnest telling God, this is important. You need to listen. The next thing is lament. It's an expression of sorrow. Did you catch that? Psalm 4.2. You sons of man, he's talking to the people now. You sons of man, how long will my honor be treated as an insult? I'm an honorable man, but you just keep insulting me. How long will you love what is worthless and strive for a lie? So that's the lament. That's the sorrow that he's dealing with at this point. Petition, a request from God, an earnest request. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Some of your translation will say countenance. He's petitioning God that he wants to see God's presence in his life because he's feeling distanced from what's happening to him. I want your presence, your light to be with me right now. I want to see it, Lord. And then it's followed by confidence. If you believe that God will answer your petition, you have to believe that with confidence. And confidence is the belief that one, and in this case, the one is going to be God. The belief that God will act in a proper, will act in the right way, and will act in an effective way when it comes to answering your prayer. In, in Psalm 4, 7, you have put joy into my heart. Where is that joy? Now, we're not talking about happiness, which is defined by what's happening in your life at this point. We're talking about joy. Where does that joy come from? When I have that joy, I know where it came from. It came from Christ. It didn't come from my bank account. It didn't come because my wife told me she loves me again. My joy comes from what I know about you and how your faithfulness will endure forever. And finally, it's followed by praise. An expression of thanks, love, respect to God. Did you see that in Psalm 4? It says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, emphasis on the word alone, you alone, Lord, have me to dwell in safety. You know, I remember my daughter, when she was very young, would be scared at night, and she would come into the room, and she would want to lay down on the bed next to me, because she knew that where safety was. And once she got into the bed, she would fall asleep. And we should have that same feeling. If we're with God, we have that same blessed assurance when we're with him. And so the lament psalm very often ends in praise. But what's the topic or theme in this? Now, it was easy in Psalm 3. You know, it talked about David and Absalom, how he was running for his life. But what's the theme here in Psalm 4? Well, people have looked at it. And they've come up with different conclusions. But there's hints in it. Psalm 4-7, it says, Grain and new wine abound. So what time of the year is it that David is talking about? When does grain and new wine come up? Harvest time. So this is a time of harvest that David is writing this psalm. Now harvest is a joyful time. You put in all this work, you see it. And this is especially joyful time because... Everything's abounding. It's more than plentiful. Everybody's happy and celebrating. But wait a second. This is a song of lament. Why is David sad and crying out to God in such a happy time? Kind of an interesting question. Well, one explanation to it is, is that during the harvest, 
It's an agricultural society, and the Philistines would pray to their god for rain. And so if there was a drought going on, and it wasn't raining, the Philistines would be praying to their god Baal to develop rain for them. The Israelites, if they didn't see the rain coming right away, what would they be turning to? They would be turning to these false religions. Our God Jehovah isn't providing rain. Maybe if we pray to Baal. The rains come, it's abounding, and now they're praising false idols for their success in their harvest. And David sees that, and he's very upset by it, that they're giving the praise to a false god. It's also more confusing when it comes to the interpretation of certain words in Psalm 4. Remember, you get God's attention. Answer me when I call God my righteousness. Is he saying, you have relieved me in my distress? The word can be translated that way. It can also be read, you have enlarged me in my narrowness. So is it you've made something smaller and I'm happy for it? Or is it you've made something larger and I'm happy for it? You see how that can lead to some conclusion? It says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So other people have looked at this and said, no, it isn't that he's mad at the people for the ungratefulness. What he's mad about is David is being slandered. Look at verse 2. O sons of men, how long will my honor will be a reproach? How long are you going to let those people attack me and call me names? So what you're doing is you're taking a different stance than people who look at verse 4 or 5 and who believe that it's talking about men are the not faithful to God. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness. Don't offer your sacrifices to Baal. This is the righteousness of God you're slandering. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in false idols. So the people that look at this verse will go back and forth arguing one way or arguing the other. And me, I have a rather simple mind. I can look at both of them and see the point in both of them. So how are we going to reconcile this difference in Psalm 4? Well, this is how I do it. And this is to me the probable meaning of Psalm 4, is that the harvest has come, it's bountiful, there was a drought, but the drought is over, the rains come, and it's a beautiful The people had been worshiping Baal. David's really upset about it. And what does he do? He calls him out on it. You fools, this isn't Baal. This is Jehovah that made this. And so if you're part of the audience that David is yelling at, what are you going to do? You have two choices. You can argue him on the basis of what he's claiming. You were unfaithful. Or you can attack him personally. You can do a personal attack on David. And so I think what the crowd did is they turned and they personally attacked David. And that's why David says, you know, oh, why are you going to let these people slander me, God? I stood up for you. I was the one that told them they were unfaithful. And they've turned on me. How long are you going to let this go on that they're turning on me? So I don't think it has to be one or the other in this psalm. I think they're both true. Okay? Now, what's the application to this? Has there been times when, in your witness, either at work or someplace else, that people have attacked you personally for your belief in God? Think about it this way. What if you're a pastor? What if you're a pastor of a fairly large church, and you're not going with the current culture, 
you're not woke, you're not hip. You're preaching things the way the Bible says, and people start leaving your church. And as they leave your church, they're slandering you. You think that ever happens anywhere? You think that happens in Centralia? How are you going to hold up to that? Are you going to be okay with that? That's got to hurt, right? Now, I have not had any personal conversations with pastors in Centralia, but I do know that there are a lot of them that have turned away from basic beliefs in God and are courting the current culture. And the ones who remain faithful to God, they are taking a beating. And so Psalms tells us how you can address that. Again, the five principles, invocation, lament, petition, confidence, and praise. So the invitation, invocation, you go before God, a prayer asking for God's help. God, I'm sticking up for you. Don't let my family be hurt in this way. Don't let my children be hurt when, you say th- when I hear things in the streets and in Centralia and Chehalis about what's going on at the church. Express your sorrows. Let him know how much it hurts, okay? Because if you're faking it, you're not going to be able to express that sorrow. Huckleberry Finn said in the adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, he said, I can't pray a lie. I found that out. He tried lying to God through a prayer, and he said it just doesn't work. How can you talk to God who knows everything and lie and expect to get away with it? So he abandoned his prayer. Petition an earnest request. Make it organized. What do you exactly want God to do? Now, sometimes you're not going to be no. We'll talk about that in Psalms chapter 5. But as far as you know, identify what you would like God to do as easily as you can. And once you say that petition, do it in confidence that God has heard you and he has the ability to correct it and make it right. And then even before the answer comes, are you going to be able to do five? Can you praise God even before it's answered? Can you praise God even if the answer he gives you isn't the answer you want to hear? That's a hard one. So, a psalm of lament, Psalm 5. So, I'm going to read Psalm 5. You would stand while we read Psalm 5. Gives you a chance to stretch your legs in the middle of a sermon. So, Psalm 5, a psalm of David. Now, a lot of these words are going to be familiar because you just sang the song. Give ear to my words. I'm speaking from the New American Standard Version. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to thee do I pray. In the morning, O Lord, thou wilt hear my voice. In the morning, I will open my prayer to thee and eagerly watch. For thou art not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells in thee. The boastful shall not stand before thine eyes. Thou dost hate all who do iniquity. Thou dost destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by thine abundant loving kindness, I will enter into thy house. At thy holy temple, I will bow in reverence for thee. O Lord, lead me in thy righteousness because of my foes. Make thy way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O Lord. By their own devices, let them fall. 
and the multitude of their transgressions thrust them out, for they are rebellious against thee. But let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and mayest thou shelter them, that those who love thy name may exalt in thee. For it is thou who does blessings to the righteous man, O Lord, thou dost surround him with favor as with a shield. All right, you may be seated. So did you pick up the five parts? We talked about them before. The invocation, verse one, listen to my lords. I want you to listen and hear me. Eye to eye contact, get in God's face. Confidence, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. I know your attributes. I know what you're like. I have confidence that you are going to be the same today as you were always. You're not going to change from righteous to wickedness. I have confidence in that. Petition, verse 8. Lord, lead me in your righteousness. What do I want? I want a path like this aisle to go down without varying from side to side. People are going to do things that are going to make me want to go in different directions, but lead me in your path. Lament, for there is nothing trustworthy. He's talking about people that are surrounding in them. Their mouth is like an open grave. There's nothing trustworthy. And then eventually the praise, for those who love your name may rejoice in you. I'm going to continue to love in your name, and this will continue to give me joy. Now, what do you notice different about these five parts that was different in the other four parts? One thing you should notice is that the order is different. So it isn't always the same order in these Psalms. The same parts will be there, but they may be in a different order. But don't let that upset you. Always in the Psalms of Lament, in about a third of all the Psalms is Psalms of Lament. Look for these five parts as you study them. So what's the topic or theme? Well, in Psalm 4, the theme was the faithless Israelites turning to idols. What about Psalm 5? Again, it doesn't say we have to look at it more carefully. So let's go ahead and read verse by verse through chapter 5, as is the custom here in Calvary Chapel. And as we're reading through this, try and see if you can develop what the theme is. So starting in verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord. The word Lord used here is Jehovah, and Jehovah means the existing one, the God that was from the beginning, is now, and will forever be. He's saying this to him, give ears, Lord. And I like this, consider my groaning. It's not cry, and there will be different words, but the word in Hebrew for groaning means when you don't know what you're saying, you just have so much emotions, it's hard to gather your thoughts together, and you want to pray to God, but you can't get out the right words. Have you ever felt that way? When you wanted to pray, you had to pray, but you just couldn't, God, it just hurts so much, I just can't organize my thoughts here. That's what he's saying for the groaning. He says, consider my groaning, understand my groaning, perceive my groaning, discern my groaning. I, I, I just feel it, Lord, but you're going to have to organize it because I can't organize it right now. I'm just hurting so much. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. Who's doing this? David is doing it. David's a king. 
So the king is talking, he's talking to God, and he's saying, God, you're the king. I'm a king, but I'm not the king. You're the king. So you're my king and my God. When you say my God, it's a personal thing. You're saying, you're my personal God. Another way this is translated is Abba, which means like daddy. You know, you're getting that close personal relationship where you call God daddy. It says, for thee do I pray. In the morning, thou will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer and eagerly watch. The word for watch is the watchman, the man on the tower of the city wall that would wait for sunrise. And when the sunrise started coming up, he would cry out to the whole city to let them know that a new day has begun. This is the watchman. Now, Alistair Begg, a Scottish preacher, looks at this and he says there's five ways that he can see in these first three psalms that you should approach God. The first way is directly. It says, give ear to my words. Okay, this is a direct, this is my petition going on. I'm not praying for the country. I'm not praying for the church. Approach him directly. This is from me, God. You need to approach him humbly. I'm bowing before my king, right? When you come into the presence of king, you bow down. I'm not the most important person in the room, God. You are. So come to him humbly. Come to him personally. It's my king and my God. You know, remember when Mary was in the Garden of Eden and she couldn't find Jesus and she turned to the gardener? Where have they put my Lord? It wasn't where did they put the Lord. It was my Lord. And that's how you should pray too. Just like Mary was praying, you know, that she could find her Lord. And you also need to do it consistently. He says, in the morning. How many days have a morning? All of them. He says, in the morning, come to me. And then, and eagerly will I watch, expectantly. The watchman on the tower expects the sun to rise. You ever see somebody not expecting the sun to rise? So approach him directly, humbly, personally, expectantly, and consistently. Verse 4, for thou art not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. I kind of read something, just took me back the other day that now some high schools have courses in which they teach high school boys how to be consumers of pornography. Like there is a good way and a bad way to consume pornography. And so they were teaching him to do it responsibly. You think God looks at this and says, hmm, okay, they're trying to do something responsible here. You know, they surveyed the girls in these classes and the girls said, Yeah, the boys expect us to do this. This is wickedness. You know what I mean? Like Jaws said, just when you think it's safe to go back in the water, you know? Just crazy. It says, no evil dwells within thee. The word dwells doesn't mean live. The word dwells in the Hebrew means even a brief stay. If I was with you for 10 minutes, I was dwelling with you. So it says, no evil, even for a brief time, stays with God. It just doesn't happen. The boastful shall not stand before thine eyes. Thou dost hate all who do iniquity. And I think what they mean here is he hates the sin, you know, not the person. But if you repetitively and refuse to change your position, there's not much God can do for you. Thou dost destroy those who speak falsehoods. 
the liar. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. You know, you can lie to the point where you can get a man convicted of something he didn't do and actually put him to death just through your lying. It's bad enough that you lie, but now your lie leads to bloodsheds. You falsely accuse somebody and, and then friends of yours goes over to that guy's house and beats him up. But as for me, by thine abundant loving kindness, that's mercy, by thy mercy or loyal covenant, by what you've already told me, Lord, I will enter thy house. God made promises to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So I think that Daniel is looking back, God, you already promised to bless me and my house. And I know you're not going to go back on your word. So I'm ready to enter your house. At the holy temple, temple can also be palace. So if you want to continue the theme of God is a king, you know, he lives in a palace or temple. I bow in reverence of thee. Humility and vulnerability when you come into God's presence. O Lord, lead me, guide me, help me in the right direction. In thy righteousness, because of my foes. The word for foe just doesn't mean enemy here. It means an enemy who is actively watching you right now. Not some distant enemy, future enemy. He said, my enemies are watching me. They have their eyes on me right now. This is real time with him. Make way, make thy way straight before me. There is nothing, now he's talking to the people that are accusing him, who are attacking him, who are watching him. There is nothing reliable in what they say. They're untrustworthy. Their inward part is destruction themselves. You know, they're destroying themselves. Their throat is an open grave. All of their words lead to sin, and the result of sin is death. They flatter with their tongue. Do you know people that'll flatter you, and as soon as you turn your back, they're bad-mouthing you, you know? I have in my office, I have people that come to me in my office, and they say, oh, what a great doctor I am. But then they say, oh, then my last doctor, he was da-da-da, and they just go on bad-mouthing him. And I'm just thinking, yeah, in a few months, you're going to be gone, and you're going to be sitting in another doctor's office. You're going to be the same thing about me, you know? Maybe it's not true of all of them, but I'm sure it's true of some of them. Hold them guilty, O Lord. And the word for God here is Elohim, different than the first, which was Jehovah. Elohim, the strong one, the mighty one. God, they need to be punished. And I'm calling on God, the strong one, to do this. By their own devices, let them fall. Let there be consequences for what they do, God. In their multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they were rebellious against thee. You know, a king, if you're rebellious against a king, what does he do? He banishes you from the kingdom. So he said, you're a king. These people that are rebellious, that aren't going to change, banish them from this kingdom. Verse 11, but let all who take refuge and thee be glad, and let them ever sing for joy. And mayest thou shelter them, that thy who loves thy name may be exalted in thee. Thy name, it occurs about a hundred times in the Psalms. And he's not just talking about a name. When somebody in the Old Testament said their name, they're talking about their character, their attributes, their dependency. So it isn't a name he's talking about. He's talking about what they do on a consistent basis. For it is thou who dost bless the righteous man, O Lord, 
for thou dost surround him with favor as a shield. The word for shield here isn't just an average shield. It's a gigantic shield. It's the same shield that Goliath had. Okay, And he says, I, I want you to shield me, not just with a regular shield, but this huge shield. And I don't want it just to be in front of me, God. Surround me on all sides with this huge shield, the petition. So we went through it verse by verse. So what's the theme? The theme, I believe, is that wicked men are trying to destroy the righteous. And he's telling them, Your words, their words are like open graves. They're trying to destroy us. You've got to do something. Where in verse 4, it was about the faithlessness of the people to God, and there was a minor part about their attacking David. And now in theme 5, I think the emphasis is on people who attack other people. And if that's the theme, what's the topic? Deliverance. Deliver us from God. Don't let me be like them. Deliver me like that. Don't let them continue to do this. It's wrong. So what happens if we combine Psalm 4 and 5? Are there principles that we can learn? Any new thing by combining the two of them? I was watching a show on photography, and the photographer was talking about lighting. And he said, in lighting, there's what they call the golden hours. And the golden hours is when the light comes in and it's so perfect, you don't have to do any adjustment to it. And the two golden hours of the day, do you want to guess when he said those were? Morning and dusk. That's right, morning and dusk. So in Psalm 4, it says, Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. When is the psalmist writing this? In your bed I will lie down and go to sleep. So I think this one he's talking about the evening. I'm tired, I'm getting into bed, I want to go to sleep, but all these images are just filling my mind. I can't go to sleep, Lord. Can you help me go to sleep? So he's saying this, Psalm, in peace I want to lie down and sleep. Psalm 5, it says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I will present my prayer to you and be on the watch. When is Psalm 5? In the morning. Okay? So if Psalm 5 is here in the morning and Psalm 4 here is in the evening, what is the inference that David is trying to get across to you. I should only pray in the morning and evening, or if he says, I start in the morning, I end in the evening, and in between, what should fill my time also? The prayer, right? But he specifically says, I go to bed at night praying, I wake up in the morning praying, and my day should be felt this way, right? Last thing I have. So you're going to get out before breakfast. Does anybody know who this woman is? Anybody at all? Yes. Mm-hmm. Her name is Jane Marqueski, I think is how you pronounce her last name. She's on a television show, America Got Talent, or America Has Talent, I think. No, America's Got Talent. So the TV producers go out all across America, and they try and find people that are talented. They have them on the show, and then through a series of eliminations, they take people off until they find the most talented person. It's a combination of special judges, and then the people get to vote as well. So she was a front runner on this season's of uh, America's Got Talent. She was forced to leave the competition last week to focus on her fighting cancer. This is the third bout of cancer that she's had in her life. And she goes by the stage name of Night Birdie. 
She chose the name Nightbirdie because she wants to sing in the darkest places where she found Jesus. If you listen for it and look for it, she said, you'll see Jesus all over. She was diagnosed with cancer in 2017, and shortly after she was diagnosed with cancer, her husband asked her for a divorce. She spiraled into depression, struggling to speak, eat, or leave bed for several months. On her blog, Jane, this woman, wrote about meeting God in those dark places, even on a bathroom floor. And so she wrote what I would call free poetry, or I would call it even a psalm. And I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you. And if you go on a website to look this up, be careful, because there's several things that sound like this. You'll want to do God is on the Bathroom Floor by Gene. And I just want to read you a real brief portion of this and see if you can see portions of that psalm, the five portions that we're talking about. You know, sorrow, call on God, petition, those things, praise. I have had cancer three times now, and I'm barely past 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and I meet God, what do you think she's going to fear? I fear sometimes when I die and meet God that he will say, I disappointed him. I offended him. I failed him. Maybe he just say, he'll say, I never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure, he can never, never say that he didn't know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor. I bang on the ceiling with my broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key underneath the mat to let myself in. Other times, I sulk outside until he opens the door to himself. I have called him a cheat, I have called him a liar, and I meant it. I have told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know, prayers rolling over my nostrils and dripping down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat, night and day, sunrise and sunset. A lot of despair, but who does she call on? She calls on God. I'm pounding with the broomstick. I'm not going to let him know that I'm around. I'm letting him know that I'm around the whole time. God is on the bathroom floor. I think if David heard that psalm, he could certainly relate to it. All right, let's stand up for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that when we come to you, it'll be in earnest, it'll be with a petition. We just pray that our hearts will be open and will be honest when I show up at your doorstep. And not that you want to keep me out, but that I'm not going to be kept out, that I will just keep searching for you and coming after you. We just pray in the times of trouble, and we know there will be trouble, that we'll continue to seek you, and we trust in you because we know that you're a good God and you have the right answers in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.